Welcome to Flourish. I'm Diane Planetin, and you're in the right place if you're ready to create an inspired life. And we do so by working on our own personal development. So we can be strong role models for those who have a mentor and strong for our own personal well-being, our own personal development. Well, today is the next chapter in The Molecule of More, the best-selling book by Dr. Daniel Lieberman and Michael Long. And wow, it's getting spicy. This chapter is all about politics. And why can't we all just get along? Really goes into depth. But here's what they have to say. The essence of government is control. People may submit to being controlled as a result of conquest, or they may voluntarily give up some of their freedom in exchange for protection. Either way, a small number of people are given power to exert authority over the rest of the population. It's a dopaminergic activity because the populace is governed from a distance through abstract laws. Although the threat of here and now violence is used to enforce the law, most people never experience it. They submit to ideas, not physical force. That's not how the book begins, but I am giving you more of a generalized review of this chapter because it specifically goes into a lot of U.S. politics. And you could be listening or watching from anywhere in the world, but the whole idea here is to understand how dopamine impacts politics. So I'll continue. Since government is inherently dopaminergic, liberals tend to be more enthusiastic about it than here and now conservatives. 500 liberals marching down the street are probably staging a protest. With conservatives, it's more likely a parade. <laughs> in addition to their enthusiasm for engaging in the political process, liberals are, are also more likely to pursue advanced degrees in public policy. And they're often attracted to fields such as journalism in which they are involved in the political process on a daily basis. Conservatives, by contrast, are more often distrustful of government, especially government that acts at a distance. Conservatives tend to prefer local governance with power exerted at the state or local level rather than federally. Distance matters. It's easier to maximize resources when emotions are taken out of the picture. And they refer back to a couple of chapters ago about pushing a person on the train tracks. <laughs> it's not necessarily easy to do that when you're standing in front of the person, but if you just have to flip a switch, push a button, well, flipping a switch from far away is easier. Similarly, many laws benefit some people but harm others. The farther away you get, the easier it is to tolerate some degree of harm in the service of the greater good. Distance insulates politicians from the immediate consequences of their decisions. Raise attack, raise taxes, cut funding, send someone to war, the person taking home less pay, receiving less help, or hunkered down in a foxhole will rarely be in the company of the person who put him in that position. As long as that person is in the White House, Washington, D.C., there's no opportunity for here and now circuits to trigger distressing emotions that would make these decisions more difficult. That's interesting. The emotional 
buttons don't get pushed. They don't come into play. Because a politician can make a decision from far away. They can make a decision from the comfort of their office. Probably don't have debt from having to survive COVID because they didn't earn money during that time. There's a domino effect happening here. And when you triple interest rates and people aren't making triple the money and they've had to take out lines of credit or use their credit cards in order just to get by until the next paycheck comes or they're self-employed or whatever they're doing, it's dominoing. It's dominoing. And there is many economic studies that show better to have money in people's pockets and make them suffer. <laughs> I'm just saying. But I'm not a politician. That's simply my opinion. All right. Well, why these politicians must always do something? Apart from distance, another way in which government is fundamentally dopamogenic is that it's all about doing something. It's almost unheard of for a politician to campaign on a promise that will go to Washington, in this example, and do nothing. Politics is about change, and change is driven by dopamine. There we go. Whenever tragedy strikes, the cry goes up, do something. So airport security is beefed up after a terrorist attack, despite evidence that the long, humiliating rituals travelers must endure don't really increase safety. Nevertheless, the mandate to do something gets fulfilled. This desire for control is unavoidable. Some people in Washington call themselves liberals and others call themselves conservative. But pretty much everyone involved in politics is dopamogenic. Otherwise, they couldn't get elected. Political campaigns require intense motivation. They require a willingness to sacrifice everything to achieve success. Long hours take a toll on family life in particular. Here and now, people <laughs> who make relationships with loved ones a priority can't succeed in politics. In the United Kingdom, the divorce rate among members of parliament is double that of the general population. And in the United States, it's common for members of Congress to live in Washington while their families live back in their home states. They rarely see their spouses, and there are plenty of young staffers enamored with power that are available to satisfy dopamogenic desires. Yikes. To a politician, relationships aren't for enjoyment. They're for a purpose, whether it's to get elected, pass a bill, or satisfies a biological urge. As President Harry Truman is credited with saying, if you want a friend in Washington, buy a dog. <laughs> There are also numerous studies and surveys in this chapter that they discuss. However, that also depends on people being truthful, right? So I'm not going to go into each of them. And as I mentioned earlier, it revolves mainly around the U.S. political system. But here we go. What about the reliability of the irrational voter? Although very conservative and very liberal people tend to vote the party line, Others have more moderate ideologies. They are the independent voters who are open to political persuasion. Influencing the opinions of this group is essential for a successful campaign and neuroscience may shed light on the best way to do it. The art 
of persuasion intersects with neuroscience at the point where decisions are made and action is taken, that is the intersection of desire dopamine and control dopamine circuits, where we weigh options and make decisions about what we think will best serve our future. Whether it's grabbing a bottle of detergent from the grocery shelf or pulling the lever for a political candidate, it looks like this should be in the realm of control dopamine. Asking the simple question, what's best for my long-term future? But convincing control dopamine, overcoming all the counter-arguments that inevitably arise, is hard to do with a bumper sticker or a 30-second television commercial. And from a purely practical point of view, it's probably not worth doing anyway. Hmm. Rational decisions are fragile, always open to revision as new evidence comes along. Irrationality is more enduring, and both desired dopamine and the here and now pathways can be taken advantage of to guide people toward making irrational decisions. The most effective tools are fear, desire, and sympathy. Fear may be the most effective of them all, which is why attack ads, commercials that portray the opposing candidate as dangerous, are so popular. Fear speaks to our most primitive concerns. Can I stay alive? Will my children be safe? Will I be able to keep my job so I'll have money for food and rent? (laughs) I like that one. Stirring up fear is an indispensable part of almost any political campaign. Encouraging people to hate one another is an unfortunate side effect. I'm going to really keep that in mind next time I have to go vote. I We actually had a, a recent uh, provincial election where I live, and it just, it just got, it got nasty. And now I know why. They were just trying to instill people with fear. And that's unfortunate because for me as a voter, personally, I'd rather know, what's in it for me? Why should I vote for you? I don't care why you don't think I should vote for the other person. (laughs) But that's my own personal perspective. I want to know what are you going to do for us, for us us humans, us humanity in general, right? But that's why it works. They put fear in people. They use the desire and the sympathy. They push people's emotional buttons. But they don't really talk about anything, do they? They keep everything super brief. And here's why. It's the desire dopamine. A short, slick story stands out from the landscape. It is salient. It delivers a quick hit of dopamine and grabs our attention. Thus, we click through a dozen provocative headlines that lead to kitten videos and skip the long essay about healthcare. <laughs> See, I want to know about the healthcare, but the dopamine kicks in. And we have shorts, we have TikTok, we have reels. We're like goldfish. No, no stamina in paying attention. The healthcare story is more pertinent to our lives. But the work of processing that story is no match for the easy pleasure of those dopamine hits. Controlled dopamine could push back, but it is invariably overpowered by the flood of whatever is new and shiny and such things are the currency of the internet. Where will this lead? Probably not to a renaissance of long-form journalism. 
As quick hit stories grow more prevalent in the news environment, they must get shorter and shallower to compete. Where does such a cycle end? Even words may not be bedrock. Most cell phones now offer to replace the text of type phrases with something faster and simpler and cruder to catch the eye, an emoji. And they reference a book here by Neil Postman, Amusing Ourselves to Death, (laughs) from 1985. He may not have known the neuroscientific causes of all this, but he understood its effect. And so we move rapidly into the information environment, which may rightly be called trivial pursuit. As the game of that name uses facts as a source of amusement, so do our sources of news. It has been demonstrated many times that a culture can survive misinformation and false opinion. It has not yet been demonstrated whether a culture can survive if it takes the measure of the world in 22 minutes, or if the value of its news is determined by the number of laughs it provides. And that was from 1985. I think we've digressed a little bit since then as well. But it's it's fascinating, and uh, it's really... The science is really dominating our mindset. It's really unbelievable how our emotional buttons can get pushed so easily. Now that science and marketing seem to be one and the same these days. (laughs) But this is about politics. And this is the interesting thing about it. In the end, the fundamental obstacle to achieving harmony is that the liberal brain is different from the conservative brain, and that makes it difficult for them to understand each other. That's why they can't get along. Because politics is an adversarial game. This lack of understanding leads to demonization of the other side. Liberals believe conservatives want to take the country back to a time when minorities were treated with gross injustice. Conservatives believe liberals want to pass repressive laws that control every aspect of their lives. In reality, the vast majority of people on both sides of the political divide want what's best for all people. There are exceptions. There are bad people everywhere, and it's the bad people who get all the press. They're more interesting than good people, and they're useful as political weapons but they don't represent the typical Democrat or Republican. Most conservatives just want to be left alone. (laughs) They want the freedom to make their own decisions based on their own values. Most liberals want to help people live better lives. Their goal is for everyone to be healthier, safer, and free from discrimination. But political leaders benefit from stirring up hostility between the two groups because it strengthens the allegiance of their followers. The important thing to remember is that liberals want to help people become better. Conservatives want to let people be happy. And politicians want power. And in doing so, they will use that power to push your emotional buttons, to stir up the dopamine, to get the control and the desire, a little little battleground inside our heads, right? But this is interesting, and it's really good to keep in the back of your mind, not to manipulate people, not to uh, overpower someone, but to inform yourself that when you're looking at politicians and the decision-making and how it impacts your own personal life, it's really important to know where they stand 
and what makes a difference in your life. Don't let them get away with, you know, bad-mouthing each other. That's not helping you. That's them manipulating you into voting for them <laughs> according to the molecule of more. So <laughs> I found this chapter super fascinating. It was actually a surprising topic. I wasn't expecting them to get so deep into politics, but the exciting part is coming up next week as we progress through this fascinating read and it's chapter about progress what happens when the servant becomes the master in which dopamine ensures the survival of early humans and the extinction of the human race wow i'm excited and i hope you are enjoying this book with me i am learning a lot and i want to share it with the everyone out there because the more we know the more we grow and you will live an inspired life if you like the show share it with somebody you know give us a thumbs up even hit that subscribe button i will see you next week <laughs>